figuring out the offer means now we can figure out what the content is. We had to have all that conversation that we just had to arrive at even starting to think about what a content plan is. Because I feel like most people, well-meaning, their content plan starts with, you open up Ahrefs, you type the word in, Mm-hmm. You look at related terms, you do an export. Now you have an export of 3000 keywords and you start gross, right? Like you just, and people will do whatever they can not to talk to people. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs, who I'm so proud to have as the very first sponsor of this podcast. I use their product literally 10 times a day for keyword research, backlink building and tracking my content as it moves up the rankings. If you're interested, you can check them out for free. Just Google Ahrefs Webmaster Tools to find a suite of free tools for auditing your site, analyzing backlinks, and discovering new keywords. It's genuinely worth checking out. It's an absolutely dope SEO tool, and they support creators like me to keep doing shit like this for free. They're such an awesome company. Okay, enough. On to the episode. This week's How The Fuck episode centers on a role play between me and the leading SaaS SEO strategist, Brendan Hufford. Here's the background. I'm a SaaS founder for a productivity software and our go-to-market model is sales-led, which means our job is to generate high-quality leads and hand them off to sales who own that process. What else do you need to know? Well, the challenge I handed Brendan was that I have two people on my team, a head of marketing and a content writer only and we are starting from scratch, zero content. And I asked Brendan, where do we start? Guys, you're gonna absolutely love this episode. Brendan is one of the best and he shares tons of frameworks that he uses while helping his clients scale from 10 million to 100 million in revenue. As always guys, head over to thefuck.com to get supporting content for this episode. This week, I'm also releasing a completely free case study deep dive where I look at how Investopedia got to 80 million in monthly traffic. I share all my wisdom on getting pages to rank by analyzing this case study, so don't miss it. It's a free example of the case studies that premium members get every single week. So if you've been on the fence for a while, check it out and see the quality. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Brendan. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Ben. I'm excited. This is going to be great. Yeah, me too. I've been following your content. You put out some really good stuff on LinkedIn. Really been enjoying it. I'm glad because I feel like the people came out with pitchforks for one of my recent posts, which was unexpected, but well, kind of not, not once I actually looked at it, but yeah. Out of interest, what was the post? My agency is called Growth Sprints, right? And it was very much built out of like me working inside of bigger agencies and living under this belief of like SEO takes six to 12 months. There's not a lot of like actual reason for that other than it's just a thing we say. And it felt like it was made up for two reasons. Number one, so agencies could buy themselves time in case SEO took a while, as it does in certain specific cases, like with brand new websites and stuff like that. I'll explain that in a second. And also, in my opinion, to sell six or 12 month retainers. We say it takes this long so we can bill you for that long. And people, the SEO industry was upset with me and (laughs) rightly so, because I was doing two things. Number one, I was challenging their long held belief that SEO takes six to 12 months. I had a graph from Ahrefs, SEO software, that showed just an example of like this site's traffic tanked for like six months. And I I turned it around like overnight. And Mm. I was like, SEO doesn't take six to 12 months. Why should this company pay me for six or 12 months Yeah, I got all their traffic back. Yes, it even was better than it was the first time, like before, even before the traffic started dropping off. And all these people were like two responses. They were doing the most incredible mental acrobatics 
bend <laughs> to like that i was either an evil person or a stupid person they were trying to figure out a way that could challenging of their worldview could be true and the other thing i did was i attacked their money i was saying that retainers should be thrown out and that's how they make their money they do all their work in the first two or three months just like me yeah but unlike me they tack on another of like four months of just waving their hands and looking busy and I don't do that. And they were justifiably upset. Like that's their finance, like that's how they feed their families. So they were very upset in the comments, very upset. And they're like, you know, all the things like, again, I was either an evil person or a stupid person or whatever. And everybody's, it was, it was petty. It got super petty in the comments and I am the petty King. So I will absolutely go there. <laughs> oh man now, now you say that i think i saw that post and i think i read some of the comments and yeah it's coming back to me like the people disagreeing about the 12 month sprints and, and it's it, but then somebody said like well what about brand new websites and i was honest with them i said but if you have a brand new website if you're a brand new founder or product or something probably shouldn't do seo hmm. like that's probably not the best channel for you to spend a ton of time in because comparatively you know, the SEO industry loves to be like, yeah, but you got to start it early because it takes time again, whatever. But there are faster ways to get customers, right? Paid, paid acquisition, partnerships. Like there are ways to get customers way faster. If I was starting a new SaaS product, I don't know that SEO would be my first choice in certain cases. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and that was, again, like I said that and some guy goes, oh, it just shows that's very telling of you. <laughs> Why? Because I because I know what I'm doing. Because I actually am like a good partner, and I tell people that want to work with me, like, hey, I would probably go do these other things first. Like that's what you're supposed to do, right? So, am so, I crazy? So maybe we should explain to people what you're advocating instead, like the growth sprints model. What is that? So growth growth sprints, and there's other agencies and people that do this, and a lot of other industries work this way. Of essentially, the way I work with clients is they come to me, they need help acquiring new customers, and I help most typically. SaaS and software companies doing around 10 million in revenue. And I help them scale up to that 100 million range through short focused marketing sprints around SEO content. And that content varies in terms of its focus and it's how it helps make money for the company and what it does for customers and users. Also dabble a little bit in like conversational marketing and chatbots, even though transparently, like those are kind of falling off. Like most people don't engage with those. Like I'm very... I'm very good. And in a lot of cases, people don't, I don't know. Do you experience, what is your sense of that? So chatbots. Uh, so yeah. Like Drift and that kind of people. Mm -hmm. Ola, I'm hearing similar vibes to what you've said. I don't think we've ever used them. Or we did and they didn't have as much effect as a form. And also all I'm hearing from the rumor mill is some of those companies are kind of struggling a little at the moment. I'm very good at it. I got very good at it over years. And every client I've been doing it for, for the past six or 12 months is just like, people aren't clicking on it anymore. And I'm like, I know. And it's not just like this one, it's not, you know, it's in legal software, it's in HR software, it's in digital asset management software. Like it's all these different verticals, all these different SaaS and software companies, they all kind of bought in because everybody was doing it and it was working. But I feel like now it's not, there are things that can do. That's why I keep it in the sprints that I offer. It's really good at taking somebody and pulling them one level deeper of awareness. So if they're in a like problem aware article on a website, I can take them to being solution aware, right? Like a lot of articles there, people are generally afraid to like really push their product in articles. I think there's a cool way around that. But the one of the best things you can do is just take them a layer deeper. 
just help them understand like how people exactly like them are using the product, customer stories, case studies, whatever. The problem is, is that worth paying Drift $5,000 a month? No, yeah. not normally, right? Cool. So growth sprints are effectively things like that. So it's a focused burst of work. And in one of yours, you're including chatbots. I have a four-part framework. Okay. Conversational marketing is part of it. Traditional SEO content, like keyword-driven SEO research content is a part of it. Product-led content. What I mean by that is when we can make pieces of the product or product data public, that can be really compelling. Third piece is revenue-focused content. Revenue-focused content has two parts. One of them is doing what I call a 3S strategy, talking to sales success and support teams, the people who talk directly to customers to get ideas for content. We know if something's coming up unprompted on three or more calls, people are probably Googling it. I don't care what the SEO tools tell me. And then that also is starting to include a lot more around like demand gen. My customers and clients have become more curious about how I've built my audience on LinkedIn. And they're like, how does our CEO build an audience on a platform? How does our subject matter experts, what should they be posting? How do they post? I'm like, cool, I actually have a framework I made for myself. So now I offer that to my customers and clients. And then the last piece is authority building. For SEO, we know we need backlinks. It's uh, backlinks are the way that Forbes.com ranks for best truck tires, right? A a vague business website ranks number one or two for best truck tires. Why? Because Google doesn't care about their subject matter expertise because they have all the backlinks in the world. How do we build backlinks for ourselves? How do we become that, call it like the HubSpot effect? Forbes effect would have the same meaning of just like, why would we even try to compete with that website? They're so authoritative. Like we're never going to beat them. That's how you want your competitors to feel when it comes to SEO is like, I'm not even going to bother trying to compete here. So if we have those assets that build hundreds of links every single month without us having to buy them or sell our souls doing spammy outreach with those awful, I get five of those emails in my inbox this morning of please link to us like no thanks but those four parts really make up a big piece of what i do and then we break those out over two or three months nice i think you've already said so many things i want to dig into but i'm going to to save it (laughs) so with the post that you made recently i can see why if you offer these things in sprints people can buy the package that sort of makes sense for them and then you can go in and out and I would say that's more buyer focused. You know what I mean? It's better. It's them. wild, right? One guy in the comments was even like, yeah, but then how is the, how is the agency supposed to do asset planning? And he went through all these things. And I'm like, I think we're saying the same thing here. The mm-hmm. long-term retainers are better for the agency. Sprints are better for the clients. You know what the secret thing is? And this is very selfish. The most important reason that I do sprints is I remember very viscerally when I was at my first agency, I was on a train ride home from Chicago. I live near Chicago and I was on a train ride home and we had just gotten fired by two clients that day. And I was like upset. And I thought to myself, wait, every client is going to fire me. That's the only way this works. I will, if my goal as an SEO or marketer or whatever, is to retain you forever. The only way the relationship ends is when you dump me, right? Like we're, I'm trying to get married to everybody. Like that, isn't that ridiculous? Like we're all getting married. Like, isn't that ridiculous? We're all trying to get married. We have to break up at some point. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way where after an engagement ends, I literally, right before we were chatting, I wrapped up an engagement, right? We, We worked together for three months. And I was just like, it was the best call. It was so fun. And I was like, yes, let's like double overhand high five. And maybe we'll work together again in the future. 
but we still like each other. We respect each other. We did great work that we're super proud of. And now they're going to be executing on that for six or 12 months. They're already seeing big gains within the three months we work together. But now it's just theirs to run with because I work with people that have internal, you know, companies that have good internal teams that can run with these things. That's the best fit for me and for them. So why not? And that's like the best, like I am energized. I'm excited to talk to you because I'm coming off that call versus mm -hmm. imagine if I was coming off a call of like monthly reporting where I'm like, oh, I hope they don't cancel next month. Like I'm getting some weird vibe. Like it's the worst. Why do that to ourselves? Yeah, I totally agree. Sort of think that about most businesses, like most SaaS businesses that tie you in for a year or so. Like of course, it's great for the business, but if you've helped them achieve their results or they're not wanting to, they're not getting value from you anymore, why should anyone be tied into a relationship with you? Yeah, there's a great company called Optimal Workshop. They help with like UX research. Optimal Workshop, when you go to buy, they ask you upfront, how long do you think you're going to need this for? what a revelation. They're like, we know you're going to churn. Is it nine? Is it more than nine months? Or is it less than nine months? Is this going to, is this a longer term thing where you want us to like be embedded and like, we're doing all this stuff together? Or is this just like, Hey, we have this project and we need to use your software for this project. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Let's just call it out what it is and then go from there. Like that. I love that. Right. Yeah. Thing. Very true of products. It's great. Yeah. I think you shouldn't shout too loud about growth sprints or everyone's going <laughs> to, the whole industry is going to have to maybe on their back on their toes or everyone's going to copy that. I mean, it must differentiate you quite well. I would say if someone says, well, we do 12 months and you go, I'll, I'll give you what you want right now. I think that's going to be the future. I've seen other people doing this. I have seen a, a few sprint focused yep. people. And yeah, that yeah I know a couple of people that do them. Webris is a great agency. I'm like, what's funny? We're all friends. My buddy, Tim at Explore Digital, shout him out. He is great and I love him. And he works with the same kind of clients that I do uh, and does Tim Hansen. Yep. I've just uh, him on the podcast, actually. Yeah, he's the best and I love him yeah, yeah. and we know each other and we talk about all this stuff. I was just talking to him the other day about like some LinkedIn stuff. Ryan Stewart at Webris, Ryan Caesar at Webris, like they also run sprints. There's a lot of people like it's, it's a thing. I do a lot of like agency coaching as well. And like, that's a thing that I teach and talk about a lot. So if look like if it increases my competition, but things get better, I'm also like super competitive. So I'm like, I don't think anybody else can outsell me anyways. <laughs> But I do think the bigger thing with like sprints and stuff like that is just if that makes it all better, that's great because yeah. I think we have bigger things to worry about, you know? Yeah, I'm on your side. I'm going to have to read through those comments as well and just see what they say. But I think I'm way more sold on the sprints side of things. Right, enough on sprints. More on to what we were going to talk about today mostly, which is I think you've put some great posts out on LinkedIn kind of in the last year that have been about what should you do when you're first starting your content strategy and your SEO strategy? And I think that would be great to go through fresh. Like if I've got a completely fresh content strategy, um, mm -hmm. let's say I've just got a very small company, but I've just got some funding and we want to grow through content. What would you say to me? Like, where, where would we start if I was that founder or like the first marketer coming to you? Where can I get like the most results without killing myself, right? Writing and being too stressed, have a direct line to actually growing and getting customers. All right, so we're gonna like, this is like my favorite type of thing to do. So I wanna lean all the way into this. I wanna actually, like, can we actually like role play this a little bit? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna make you like That's pretend it. to be somebody, but like, can I actually like ask questions back of you? Yes, yeah, I'll be the- Cool, because the thing is like, 
I don't have all the answers. So I have to ask questions to like figure out some of these things, right? So you said like small company, we want to grow through content. Are we assuming that there is a decent level of product market fit, meaning there's very low churn, that net revenue retention is near 100%? Are we assuming those types of things are true? I think for this software company that I'm running, we have not got product market fit because I don't think most early stage product companies have product market fit yet. So I'm just going to say like, we think we've got a really good product, but we've got our first 10 clients. They're all kind of a mix of sizes and things. We're not even sure really what what we're doing, but Mm. we've got to the next stage of funding. So yeah, sorry, we haven't properly refined our target audience even. So I, we mentioned earlier, like the clients I work best with are usually between 10 and $100 million in revenue. That's not because I'm a snob. That is simply because that stage of company is able to execute on a good strategy, yeah. right? A lot of times if you're smaller, it's like, look, we can't afford writers. The CEO or the solo marketer is way too strapped to actually produce a significant amount of content where SEO is going to be a viable play because SEO very much is all all or nothing, right? You either rank and you get the traffic or you don't. There's other, like people have more like generous views about it. I'm really competitive. So it's like, look, yeah, you could just middle around and get some traffic and stuff. But the thing is like, you need customers. The other question is something we talked about earlier. I'm also assuming you have other avenues to get customers right now. We are not putting all of our eggs in the content basket and stressing ourselves out about this. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair assumption too? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're right. We want to open content as our, as another channel, basically. But we've got the other stuff running. It's doing all right. But let's say we've just got the head of marketing and a content writer. Okay, cool. Execute them. Great. So head of marketing, writer, do we have like a product-led growth motion? Do we have a, a free trial freemium type of mix in there? Do we, and I'm all the PLG people will probably come for me now because that's not exactly what PLG is. I know. I'm just for the sake of keeping it short. Or do we, are we looking at like more PLG or more like sales led where we're trying to like get people to get on the call or book demos and things? Let's do it for the company I currently work at. It's more like sales led. Mm-hmm. As I think it starts as we're not going for signups. Yeah. Have to book a meeting or a demo. In my head, that's a tougher challenge than signups. But I didn't. It is because it moves the, well, it's, it's easier on the like marketing side. It's harder on the actual, like I'm running a company side because it delays the onboard because there's so much that comes before onboarding. And there's so much that comes before retention and even call it like true activation within a product because the acquisition piece, we can wait the active acquisition and the sales and everything. And then it's very easy to pretend like the activation piece doesn't matter. So it's more like, it's a little nefarious sometimes because you feel like you're doing great. You're like, look at this pipeline. Like we're crushing it. And then you're like, we have 73% churn. This is a mess, but it's easy because you feel like the analogy I use is like, imagine you're stacking boxes on the front of a pallet or a truck or something. But like, as you're stacking them on, a bunch are falling off the back, but you don't even see it. So you just just keep shoving more on, but you think it's growth, that sort of stuff. And these are like important questions to ask because you're like, you know, why are we talking so much business? You haven't yet mentioned keywords or anything yet, Brendan. Like these yeah, are important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But when you've been in the game long enough, you kind of start realizing like these are more important questions to understand and ask than the other pieces. So here's where I would start. I think this is one of the best frameworks that's easy to understand. If you ever have to explain SEO to your CEO or to your board, you're the hypothetical CEO of this company or founder. Essentially, I use this framework called the I am framework, intent, asset, and medium. 
right? Like what is the intent? What are people searching for? Why do they want it? What is the asset? How are we going to give that to them? And what is the medium, meaning where was where will it live? This applies to everything. This applies to LinkedIn, right? This applies to Google SEO. This applies to YouTube or podcasts or whatever. Sorry to interrupt you. Can we run through those one more time just to like make it make it even more clear? Yeah. Set like, so medium. Yeah. So the it's it's easy to remember because it's just I am. Yeah. Uh, I A M. I is intent. What do they want? Why do they want it? Asset. How are we going to give that thing to them? And then medium. Where is it going to live? How do we optimize that for that specific medium, right? Optimizing for YouTube or Pinterest or Google, which are three different search engines, is very different, right? Same thing for optimizing your assets. Same thing for intent, like intent is different on those. So I think a lot about those questions. I like giving people that tool of like how to think about it generally. And then we can kind of get into a little bit of what I would call like a beginner content plan. So now we have to talk about like what your product is. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah, we don't do anything to do with marketing people. I know. Every example is always like MarTech. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to sell to marketers. It's too easy. What do we do? Okay, we are... Can I think of one? Yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, I'm cheating because I'm going to solve for my own example. <laughs> like I, I think one of the easiest ones is like, I, I feel like every software is like one of two buckets. The first bucket is like, we save you time. That's half of software. The other half of software is all of your things in one place. And that pretty much describes all software. Either it saves us time or it's like you have all this separate stuff. It's all right here now. Those are the two buckets. So let's go with like the save time thing. Let's say we're some sort of productivity software. The way we deliver that is a little bit irrelevant, right? Like the it could be a you know to-do list app. It could be a task management thing, you know, like an Asana or something. Right. So the way I think about that is I do this for myself because I offer a service and there are, we already talked about the core pieces of my offer that I put out there. So it's a highly underrated thing. Software companies are notoriously terrible at thinking of what an offer is. If you want to get extremely good at offers, here's two books. It's so funny. I thought that people are going to be so mad at me about this. They were like, what are your two favorite business books? And, you know, you're supposed to say like the hard thing about hard things or like extreme ownership or something. Mine are these two Russell Brunson books. What? Like, do you know, do you know who Russell Brunson is? No, I don't. Oh, Flick Funnels. It's the info product marketers like just dream. So Click Funnels, most people don't know. People have heard of like landing page software, right? Like an unbounce or lead pages or something like that. Most people don't know that ClickFunnels is also landing page software and it has like 10x the revenue of those other companies because Russell Brunson understands info products. He understands how to run challenges. He understands how to sell courses and all these other things. He truly understands how to craft an offer. And what's funny is his software is not his front end offer. It's his back end offer. He teaches you all these things. It gets you into a challenge doing these things. And he's like, oh, also... We got this software if you want to like do it easier, all that sort of stuff. It's really cool, but we have to figure out like what the actual offer is and we have to figure out like how to craft that. Cause a lot of times most SaaS and software companies are like the offer is the product. It's $49 a month. That's a terrible offer. How about you actually figure out why people are trying to buy it and then give them the things they need to be successful. Your offer is your software plus your exclusive customer community 
plus your customer, like it's that stack, call it the offer stack. And a lot of times, again, like people are like, you get this much space and data and blah, blah, like, sure, right? But it's still the software. But give them a community, give them a customer success rep that actually cares. Give them like training that's going to make them better at whatever they're trying to do, Mm -hmm. right? So we figure out what that offer is. And that's what I want to break down here. So if we have a time, and I know I'm like, feels like we're wandering through the woods right now. I promise there's a point to this. Figuring out the offer means now we can figure out what the content is. We had to have all that conversation that we just had to arrive at even starting to think about what a content plan is. Because I feel like most people, well-meaning, their content plan starts with, you open up Ahrefs, you type the word in, Mm-hmm. You look at related terms, you do an export. Now you have an export of 3000 keywords and you start bump, 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 bump. gross, right? Like do you just, and people will do whatever they can not to talk to people. <laughs> it's so weird, especially in SEO. Yeah. You can tell, like, I can't shut up about this stuff. I love talking to people. I think people will look at the value they think the product has. It solves this problem. So then they go mm-hmm. to reps and go, well, who wants to solve that problem? find the keywords where people are clearly looking to solve that problem and go from there. I think that's why it's like an open up Ahref straight away. Hello, lovely Lister. I just wanted to interrupt this episode, very annoying, I know, to plug something I actually think could be a lot of value to you. And that's the premium membership of How The Fuck. It's $8 per month. And what do you get? Well, apart from a lot of radiant love from me, well, every, every listener is getting that anyway. You can expect the highlights of every episode of the podcast. I'll also explain extra bits, point out things like common pitfalls of following the strategies you hear on the podcast. Um, I also share templates, like recently I shared a 100-point checklist for updating your older content and frameworks for things like how to create conversion-focused blog posts. You can check out the content that's already there at the How The Fuck website under the premium filter. And uh, yeah, just do it, you know, see what you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode, by the way. It's freaking great, isn't it? Anyway, back to the guest. So let's say we have a productivity app, right? Mm -hmm. And the buckets that we have are productivity, meaning like, how do we get more done? Time management, how do we choose what actually matters in our lives, right? And we start going down and be like, all right, the actual thing, if we did our SaaS, which stands for software as a service, if I was to get rid of the software and do what my software does manually, and this is a weird thought exercise, do it manually for a person, what would my main buckets be? What would I actually help them with if I was helping a friend with this stuff and the software didn't exist, right? Well, I'd help them figure out like what actually, how to choose what to work on, right? I would help them get more done with the time they already have. I'd help them figure out how to get more time. All of a sudden now we have these big buckets and it's like, okay, cool. Now I understand a little bit more about the value of my product. And you can, there's various ways to figure out what that is, talking to customers, et cetera. But you said we only have 10 right now. Only 10 people are paying for this. So from there, we're going to figure out a content plan. We're going to do what I call revenue-focused content. This is one way to do it, right? We can look at things. We can do the SEO searches that are close to the money, right? Like productivity software, productivity tools, or time management software. Great. We can do alternative keywords, right? Like, you know, whatever Todoist alternative or Todoist competitors, and I'll write an article and try to rank for there and put myself on top. Great, do it. Totally agnostic. No judgment on those. Those are plays that I run as well. Maybe we look at, this is a secret one nobody really does. We look at partnerships. Who are the companies I want to partner with? How do I write about their software? 
right? Can I write a review of a company that's like a dream partner for me? Well, I can tell you there's nothing sweeter than sending an email to a partnerships manager at your dream partner and being like, hey, we just wrote this review. We're actually ranking second in Google for this, for a review of your thing. And it's glowing and it says, absolutely use that software. Oh, and did you know, we also put in there that we integrate with, you know, we in the future, we'd like to integrate with your software and your software is even better when it's with us. That's okay, cool. Right. So all these neat plays, all these things I've figured out over the years, but the best revenue focused content plan has five parts. First part is write about the problem, just write about the problem and help them understand like how you kind of solve it. Then write about the first roadblock they're going to encounter. So once you solve this first thing, you're probably going to run into this. That's your second article. What's the roadblock to getting there? Third article, give them a template to solve it. Here, just take this. It's my template. It's exactly how to do it for yourself. Then fourth, give them a case study, a customer story. Hey, did you know that we actually have some customers that have already solved this problem? Great. Here's that. And then last, and this is perfect if you don't even have customers or just something interesting, write about, I call it like a high-level roundup. Write about some other company that's not your client or not your customer. Write about, if that's if you're B2B, write about some other person that's figured this out. So if I'm doing productivity and time management, I'm going to write about Kehi and I'm going to write about, he has this thing called 10K work, right? Like you have $1, you think about like boxes, you have $1 an hour work, $10 an hour work, $100 an hour work, and then like, or like $1,000 an hour work and then $10,000 an hour work. How do you get into that 10K work, right? I'd write about, he's not a customer, probably may not even know he exists, but we're going to write a profile on him. I'm going to interview him on my podcast, something. And then you just go down the list. You do those five. For all the different buckets, that's exactly, you could probably, if you, now people are listening to this, you can watch my LinkedIn and you can be like, oh, I see you're just doing the things from your buckets, Brendan. Like it's all that I do. And this is, I built a, a business that I'm really happy and grateful to run uh, that I think is thriving and growing mm-hmm. all from that. And I think that those back into keywords, right? Once we know we're writing about these things, all right, do just think like a copywriter, use SEO as one data point. How, how do I back into a keyword for this? If somebody was searching for this, what would they possibly search for? Then do your keyword research, then optimize it using a phrase or a clear scope or something. Yeah. But don't start there. I love that. I love that framework. It's so nice to have just a, I think it's a simple one to follow and these things can be really overwhelming. I think content strategy can be overwhelming. Oh my God. 27 spreadsheets. And then we got like 10 decks that we've made. Yeah. It can get, it can get to be a lot. The options are also endless. Like you could write about anything. So what do you write about? Or do I write about everything? The productivity and prioritization app that we've fictionally invented, the biggest struggle is prioritizing and figuring. It turns out, right? Like that's the biggest thing. It's like in a world of endless opportunities, how do we choose? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. So this actually, to go back to that, your first part of that plan was like write about the problem. Could you walk us through that? So let's say one of them is time management. How do you write about that? Something you mentioned earlier as well. Like, how do you naturally get your product in there and talk about you solving the problem, but also be helpful to the reader, also to rank that piece of content? I imagine there's lots of ways to talk about a problem. How would you go about that? Yep. So the first thing I use this framework from Eugene Schwartz, a book called Breakthrough Advertising. If you look it up, it's like a hundred dollar book and people are like, I would never pay a hundred dollars for a book. It's like, look, you just bought that $700 course that you're never going to watch Buy the hundred dollar <laughs> book. It's great. Anyways, in there, I'll give people the TLDR is he talks about this idea of like, 
uh, problem aware, solution aware, product aware, and then like most aware. And there's also like people who are unaware of the problem. But in our case, we're just starting a company. We don't have the budget or ability to really market to people who have no idea that a problem even exists right now. We're talking usually a lot of there is like mass media buy, stuff like that. You got to get a lot of eyeballs and a lot of like reps being like, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. With that said, I would look at not the unaware, but the problem aware. So these are people Googling that problems already exist in their life. Eugene Schwartz says, whether you're doing advertising or in marketing is a subset or advertising is a subset of marketing, but whether you're doing advertising or content or SEO, really what we're trying to do here, he says, just empathize with them. So your only job is just to make them feel like, oh, thank God, somebody really, like really gets this, right? My wife and I share articles and as more, I would say we're skewing more towards sharing TikToks with each other lately of just like when you see a TikTok and you're like, oh, thank God, like somebody else gets it and is also, because you can just feel it's so, so weird. Right, so, Ben, like we've experienced so, the same things, but we all feel alone. It's so, it's so silly. It's so, it's so what you share as well. It's like, it makes you go like, it makes you laugh and relate. And then you send it to other people. Dude, this is what we talked about the other day. Oh my gosh. There's one, there's this video. Somebody listening has probably seen it. There's TikTok that goes viral. I think it's even from a year ago, but it goes viral around the start of school. And it's these two dads like sliding in for like a press conference <laughs> after like a football game or something. And like they slide in and they're like, yeah, so how was that uh, goodbye hug? And they're like, it was a mess. Absolute disaster. They're like, did you guys get the uh, the first day of school photo? No, didn't get it. We're going to try and reshoot it after school and just hope <laughs> over the years that we all forget that it was after school. Like just, It's like a press conference, but for a regular life event. And I think that's hilarious, but it is where everybody's like, that's exactly how the first day of school is. Anyways, Love like that. when you do that sort of thing, you empathize so deeply in your content. That's what that first article is. All you need to do is empathize with the problem. And then we earn the permission to take them a layer deeper and be like, yes, cool. Here's an article about maybe how to solve that problem. Maybe we talk about that a little bit in the first article, but a lot of times people are just like, sign up for a demo. And it's like, no, no, like nobody wants a demo yet. We're kind of vibing here a little bit. We have this deep cathartic article, which I just wish I would see more of in SaaS and software, but he talks about pain points, but then nobody writes about actual feelings. Like lean into that a little bit, like twist the knife a little bit, make people feel like, oh yeah, the world is collapsing a little bit. Because if they're like, yeah, that's not true. You're exacerbating nothing. Great. Then they'll bounce. Right. But yeah. for the people that are more likely to become customers, they're like, yes, this is a, a deep, frustrating daily, mm -hmm. hourly, every minute issue for me. So lean all the way into that, write about that, empathize with them really deeply. And then the only thing you need to do in those types of articles, this is my secret sauce for like SaaS and software content, write about the main thing, write about the topic, but let your visuals, instead of using like another stock photo from Unsplash or something else, just use photos of your product. Just show people. As you're talking through these things that are hard things or whatever you're solving for people, whatever your product does, just show them. Oh yeah, in our product, like you just click these two buttons. It's not a hard sell. Doesn't even really interrupt the content. It just shows them like, oh yeah, you know, like this thing we've been talking about and just sprinkle that throughout where it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like if we're talking about like a feeling of overwhelm, you have too much to do, too many tasks. Just show them your dashboard in our fictional app. Just show up just subtly screenshot of all these tasks beautifully organized in this beautiful dashboard. Oh, that feels nice, doesn't it? All right, they'll keep reading, right? Essentially, we just want to sprinkle those images in there 
And just like, even if your tool is ugly, I have like very strong feelings about people like, well, we don't want to show the tool. It's kind of ugly. And I'm like, what do you think happens after they pay you? <laughs> right? Like show them now. That's the worst when it's like a bait and switch and you go through the sales, you know, the salesperson doesn't even demo it. They just show slides and it's like all that sort of stuff. No, thanks. Like just show it, show it as much as you can. The thing is that exacerbates that, that issue enough that if like you do have ugly software, it pushes that like. Hey, product team, hey, design team, whoever's working on that, whether it's a founder or somebody, whoever's doing the design, like we need to make this prettier because we have to show it, yeah. right? So that sort of thing, that's a, a very long-winded way, but like a very sincere answer to like how I would start. Yeah, I've seen some companies do that very, very well as well. Like I think Ahrefs is one of those, like the product's useful enough that it solves most of the problems that, that people are searching for. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I've I've had very firm conversations with Tim and Patrick and a couple other people there of like, your software is visually awful. It's awful. It's very, it, they have three or four buttons that I love that make things really easy for my job. But the problem is I can't use any of their visuals because they create more questions than clarity, right? Yeah. They don't use like nice, beautifully, like their, their charts and graphs, for instance, are very rarely like, they're these super choppy, like ups and downs. And the problem is you show that to an executive and they're like, what happened there? Yeah, that little yeah. dip three years ago, spend two days digging into that versus <laughs> you use their competitor, SEMrush. Charts are beautifully designed, smooth. They create more clarity than questions and they don't send you down rabbit holes that don't result in action, right? And they have to understand like as a company, if you're letting people export charts and graphs out of your tool, which Ahrefs does, they have to be useful for whoever they're using to message that to. That means either internal stakeholders or clients, right? So again, that's never held them back. From day one, I talked to Tim Solo, their CMO, and I, he said, we don't do pop-ups. And they, they might have some now, but when I talked to him a couple of years ago, he said, we don't do pop-ups because every article is a demo. So why would I interrupt a demo with a pop-up? And I'm like, that's the right way to think about it. Like that framework is something more people should do. I actually did interview him in the first season of this podcast he was on. And he talked about like the five benefits of content for them. And like yeah. he, he made, an, I think, what a good point that because that content, like see, I'm, I'm Ahrefs user right now. When I read that content, it also helps me. It's like customer success. It helps with retention. It's like. Just going to say the same thing. Yep. Not you're like, how do I, how do I do this thing? And you Google it and you see Ahrefs there and you're like, oh, I use Ahrefs. Exactly. Oh, neat. It just shows me how to do it in their product. I appreciate this too. <laughs> exactly. It's a complete walkthrough whenever you have a problem. And also I think any kind of company that does, it's like if they're an SEO company, they need to show us how they are good at SEO. I think you need to walk the walk. Well, I take that. I take that back. Cause my, cause growth sprints is only like that website's only three pages. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't do any, I don't do any SEO for myself because I don't the, well, for multiple reasons, which we can talk about if that's helpful, but like, I don't do any SEO for myself on that specific website. I would say for SEOs, it doesn't apply because it's the most like competitive niche ever. I feel like the, the best way for you to grow is not through SEO, is it? I mean, I wouldn't expect two that. reasons. Number one, there are way more competitive niches because there are, there's way more money to be made. That's what makes something competitive is like, how much money can you make out of this? So any sort of like stocks, investing, pharmaceuticals, where we're talking like billions of dollars are on the line. Nerd Wallet. Nerd Wallet went public on SEO. Like they're a public company now because they had, 
are good at SEO. Mm -hmm. There's like whenever it's the business of making money is way more lucrative. The SEO thing is SEO about SEO is very much just like a snake eating its own tail thing. And for me, my goal is to grow a business. And the reason you get hired for what I do is people who are like, oh, I found you and I like how you think. I want to bring your brain into my company. A lot of times people who are Googling things around SEO, like how to do keyword research or do I need a canonical tag? Those aren't my customers. So similar to a SaaS company, if they're not your customers, I don't, and you're not helping your customers, I don't know that that's content worth producing. Yeah. So, so far that hasn't been a goal. I found a lot of other ways that are more effective to grow the business. But it's an important one people need to think about. It's a kind of a fundamental point. If you've got a very clearly defined ideal customer, are they going to be searching for that keyword? Or is in some way that keyword going to be getting back to them and relating back to your sales? Absolutely. And I don't think everything has to drive specifically to revenue. Like people get really myopic and they're like, how does every article convert? Okay. And then we get into like tracking and like how do articles contribute and things like that. And I think there's definitely a lot to talk about with like attribution and things like that. But the crux of it is for me, similar to what I said earlier, I'm an early stage company, right? I'm an early stage like agency. SEO will be a play, but for for what I do, SEO is a later stage play versus in some verticals, it's a, if you have a product like a Trello or something where like the pages, uh, Zillow is another good one where like, are you familiar with Zillow? I don't think I am. Trello, I know for sure. But... Zillow is like a like home buying app or right. like you can look up. So they they have a specific page for literally every postal address. And right. that is an incredible amount of pages. And they have how much the house is like, that's what everybody does. Like people look up on Zillow, how much the houses are worth and like in the neighborhood and like how much does it say my house is worth now, especially right now, right? People are super curious. So they look that up, but like Zillow, similar to Airbnb, the pages are the product. Yeah. Right. Like that ability, it's that product led SEO. So SEO might have been an earlier play for those companies because it's baked into the product. Trello, you can make boards public. Those boards can then rank, right? Could be an earlier stage play versus like what we're talking about, like a sales led type of productivity time management app. SEO might not be the earliest play. And the same thing for me, like my company's early stage, it might not be the early play that we might make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So another kind of big debate in the world is of marketing at the moment is the kind of gated, ungated thing. I know it noticed, I think step three of yours, this framework is create a template, give it to them to solve the problem. Would you gate that or ungate that? And why? If it's me and I'm doing it for myself or I'm talking to you. You're doing my, my SaaS. I want it branded and I want it ungated. Mm. I want it in his hands as many people as possible. Because this is what I call, it's something I've started referring to as the pre-buyer journey. Most software competes with Excel and Google Sheets. Like at the end of the day, software is the unbundling of those products. And when you start to think about it that way, if somebody's looking for a template, they're not ready for the software. So let's just give them a beautiful template that's branded. And the template could be anything. The template could be, I like just like, it could be a Google doc where they make a copy. It could be a Google sheets. It could be a Google slides, really easy to get spun up and going, make it branded, make it beautiful, make it really easy to use and customize for themselves. They will always remember where they got that from. I'll give you an example. Like there are things that I use in my business that I do use in like Google sheets and stuff. And I can look through that thing and I can see 
the footprint of so many other brilliant people that I have worked with in the past that have caused me to change how I operate and change what I, oh, we're going to add this new tab. And then everyone going forward gets that new tab, mm-hmm. right? And I will forever remember, oh, that was so-and-so. Oh, that was so-and-so. Oh, that was, I'll shout out some people. Probably 2019, 2018, I got to work with Levi Olmsted and Jacob Rudnick. They had both just recently left G2. And I got to work with both of them. And they're like, cool, here's how we organize stuff. And I looked at the spreadsheet they sent over and I'm like, oh, those two things are brilliant. And I was like, can I use this? And they're like, yeah, great. So that just became a, and like, that's still stuff that I do today, yeah. years later. And I love it. And I remember that. So the idea that like, well, if we don't, we don't get the opt-in, you know, we don't get their email, then we're not going to be able to, they know people aren't dumb. They know. And you want as many hands as people as possible. Here's the thing. I do believe, I will say this. I do believe in gated content heavily. It better be good. It better be something that's worth paying for. If I give up my email, I always want to feel like it's worth more. Like if I pay $10, I want to feel like it's worth 100. If I pay 100, I want to feel like it's worth 1,000. If I put in my email, I want to feel like I would have paid money for this. This is valuable. So I think that's the bar that I would set of like, this has to be good and it has to feel worthwhile to be exclusive. Mm, Nice. That's a really good way of looking at it. I think it's hard. I totally agree with everything you just said there. I think for me in reality of what I've seen, it's hard when your whole team is chasing leads to be like, well, let's just get in people's hands. And they're like, well, yeah, it's hard. But that's just the way, unfortunately. It is. It's absolutely challenging. If it's like, hey, look, like we need the leads. And I respect that, but make a big deal out of it. Make a big deal. If you're ungating everything, make a huge deal out of it, right? Like make a big deal of why it's ungated and why or why it's gated and stuff like that. And I think that's totally fine. But I think the idea of like, we're still running the same HubSpot playbook from 2007 or whatever, where it's like everything is gated and then we send everybody an email sequence and every I'm good. Yeah. Maybe that's MarTech. Maybe, maybe in MarTech, I'm just so over it. <laughs> but like having worked at an email marketing company, like I'm so over that. But I do think a lot of things, the same thing that somebody asked me about events recently, you know, like, what would you do to make your event stand out? I'm like, don't record it. No recording. You can record it and have it. But no, and when everybody asks, will there be a recording? Nope. Got to show up. Nice. And people are like, oh, but then how do we nurture them? How do we get their email address? And I'm like, well, you get the email address of registration, but make them show up. Maybe you can publish it a year later. And people are like, oh yeah, I remember that. Like, that's cool that that's live now. Neat. But like, don't record it. Make it different. Make it special. Think the same thing's true with anything you gate. Like it has to be gated for a reason, not just because it's what's best for me. The overriding theme of our chat today. Yeah. Gating it is what's best for the company, not the customer. Yeah. Gate it because that's what's best for the customer. Yeah. People don't like taking those like leaps of faith. They're like, as long as I've got the email, then I can, then I've got them in a way, but you don't have them. Yeah. But then your MQL oh. com- convert at 0.001% and you're like, but we got them. Did yeah. you, did yeah. you really get them? I don't think you got anything. I'll give out my email for anything lately. Like I think we're a little more liberal about giving out that email address anymore. It's not as special as we think. That's so true. I also get fake emails every day. I've done that too. Or you put, you, they're like, put your phone number in and it's like two digits yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. 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 Someone out there is getting my messages. Oh, crushed. <laughs> whoever has the number, I'll tell you, I won't tell you my phone number, but whoever has the phone number one off from my number is like, who Babe. signs me up for all of these webinars? All these AEs from companies. Oh, 
I hadn't thought about that until literally this moment. Then I'm such a bad person. That's such a bad thing to do. I thought about it and I and I still do it. But I've very <laughs> we're both complicitly bad people. <laughs> yeah. Something we do to get around this, uh, to get around the fake email problem, is when people download stuff, we send it to them by email, which isn't it's an obvious play. It's good for us because of open rates and things. It improves our open rate and stuff, but. Most companies that I put my email in don't have that requirement. I think 99%. So yeah, always fake email. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And the thing is, again, like it's got to be good. It's got to be like, hey, let's talk about offer, right? It's gated content, but what's the offer? Hey, you're downloading this thing, but how else do we help them? Hey, over the next three days, like we're also going to send you this, this, and this, because these are really valuable. If we send it to you all at once, it's just going to go to your Dropbox to die or your Google Drive to die there because it's too much all at once. Like nobody has the time. You don't have time to do all of this today. So we're going to send it to you over the next couple of days. We're going to introduce you to a few people. We're going to give you some books that we think are going to also help you with what you're working on. Like actually think through like, how do I solve this and make an offer for again, overriding theme, make a true offer for the opt-in versus like, here's my bullshit ebook. Like the ebook is just the first thing we send you. We're also going to send you all these other things. And make it, I think Val Geisler calls it like a dinner party strategy, right? Walk them around the dinner party, introduce them to all the other guests, introduce them to everything that they need to be successful. And like, that's worth it. That's worth signing up for. Like that. Yeah, that's that's so true. I'm a big fan of, especially if you have a really long ebook, just like breaking that down. Because I think that you're not going to read this. So here's the highlight in the first, in an email. Like you said, if you put that in the upfront offer, like, I'm asking for your email here because I'm going to break it down for you because you might not have time or whatever. I think that absolutely, absolutely, and just be like, look, you don't have to open all these emails, but I'm going to send it to you. Here's what we're going to. Here's the subject lines that are coming your way. Any of those sound interesting? Oh, okay, cool. You want that one on day three? Neat. Like you know what I mean? And then just look. Like you can do a lot of cool marketing stuff if you just pause and go. Like, how do we just be creative here? Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. I I have such empathy for marketers in companies, large and small and early founders, where it's just like, you don't have the time. Hmm. You just don't, or you're not given the time. And it's such an easy solution to be like, yeah, just go a little slower. My coach and I have this phrase that he's given me called, he says, go 5% slower to go 500% further. And that's changed my life. And it's like, that's how I think about a lot of marketing stuff too. It's like, if we could just slow down 5%, we could go five times as long. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so true. I found in my experience of being a solo marketer back a few years ago, you go so fast, but in the end, you've spread yourself thin and you're not sure anything's effective anymore. If you do yeah. that. Um, we got to ship five blogs this week. Oh God. Yeah. Like, but what if have... I just made one and made it good? What yeah. if I made one every two weeks? Is that allowed? I remember I got in so much trouble when I was at Active Campaign because I just went, why? Well, here's the content calendar, one per week. Why? Why not one every two weeks? Well, that wouldn't be enough, like some random made up thing. I go, why not one every three days? Why not two days? Why not four? Why every why every five day work week? Because like that's the work week we have because we like it's a cultural thing now. It has nothing to do with that. It. It's just proving the point. This has nothing to do with anything. Let's figure out like what's the cadence to do our best work. And then all of a sudden we have something cool. I just, I was listening to a podcast this morning and this YouTube channel I like, I had no idea. They're like, we do three videos a month. Dang, that's less than I thought. Mm. I thought they were producing like every day. It's just because that's how it would show up on YouTube for me. I'm like, 
wow, no wonder they're so good. Mm. It's not a lot. That's so true. Yeah, I mean, if you can't produce the quality that you want to be known for in every day, then don't do it every day. You know? Yep, there's plenty of days on LinkedIn. Most people don't notice them, but there's plenty of days on LinkedIn where I just don't post. I may like try to get something out every day because I learn a lot from the writing and the thinking. And I know they're not all going to be bangers because they're half-baked thoughts, but that's the work is me trying to think it through. So there's value there for me, but there's plenty of days where I'm just like, I don't get it. <laughs> we don't got it today. Like it's not happening. That's this, all right. This is why I love the framework that you just talked about for like the revenue focused content, because in the end there's four steps. So work your way through it for one problem, you know, slowly yep. like create a start to finish thing and then move on. At least you've got like a focus and, and you can prioritize. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, where can people find you? Yeah, I think we we accidentally started by talking probably too much about me, but I hope people have gotten value out of this. Look, I have a really unique name, Brendan Hufford. However that sounds to you, you can probably type it into Google. Type Brendan Hufford LinkedIn, or you can type growth sprints, those two things. Or you can go to LinkedIn and try to type my name in. I don't know if it'll figure it out for you, whatever. But if you type Brendan Hufford LinkedIn into Google, it'll take you there. That's where I share all my best stuff right now. We've got a couple of cool things coming out that I'm excited about. A podcast that I think has a truly unique premise that I'm really thrilled. A newsletter that I've been working on really hard for a while just because I have to, I'm the type of human that has to get ahead. If I wait till Sunday night to write my Monday newsletter, it doesn't come out. And growthprints.co is also the best place to check out as well. You can see a visual of everything we talked about today. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, appreciate it, Ben. Thanks. That's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the time you invested in this episode. Um, a few next steps. Of course, we have the premium community where you can read this strategy. Basically, you can download it and keep it forever so you don't have to listen to this episode again or make notes. Um, also, come follow me on LinkedIn. I'm posting like lots of little extra bits and things around the podcast and, and things I've learned in SEO. So come follow me. And if you don't already, obviously subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the newsletter. Thank you.